but yeah, my name is Jonathan Monk. Uh, good morning. If we've never met before, glad to have the opportunity uh, to teach this morning. Uh, grateful for our time of worship. I don't know if you know this, but two of the ladies that were up here are rising seniors in our high school ministry. So Emmy Hall and Jennifer McDonald. So they'll both be seniors. Jennifer actually sang on the worship team for the first time uh, this morning. So super, super grateful for them. Love being able to uh, sing. Um, so now as we open up to the word, we're going to be in Exodus this morning. We've been in Nehemiah, and if you're new to CFC, uh, or ch- kind of just checking CFC out, we're a church that loves to go through books of the Bible. So we've been in you know, Ephesians, Genesis, uh, other books that we've studied in the past, and we've been in Nehemiah for a little while now. And um, for me, what's been so compelling, is this TV on? No. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. Oh, don't, don't see that yet. Okay. Just make sure it's working. All right. <laughs> You didn't see that. Um, But what's been so compelling about Nehemiah is that when Nehemiah sees the the brokenness of his day, you know, look at the rubble, uh, what words does Nehemiah say? Do you remember? Nehemiah says, uh, sin me. That's what he says to the Lord. Well, as we step out of Nehemiah uh, into earlier in the story of the Old Testament into Exodus to a different man, not Nehemiah, but someone else, um, he doesn't say the words, sin me. Look at the words that this man says. He, but he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whom you ever you will. In other words, these words were spoken by Moses, not Nehemiah. Moses says, uh, send someone else. Send someone else. Not send me, but just send someone else. In other words, uh, Moses is saying, I ain't going. I, I'm not the guy. And I don't know if you've ever uh, said that before or said words similar to that. I don't want to do it or this is too hard or I, it's, I'm not the person. God, send somebody else. I I have a few times in my own life where that's happened, but one of, one of the examples would be probably 2013 when I went to North Carolina to interview for a, uh, a potential Bible teaching job. And when I went up there for the interview, I just did not have a great experience. Uh, There's about three things that made it difficult. One was when I spent the day at this, this school in North Carolina, I found out that the teacher that I was going to be replacing had only been there a year. And he was leaving. And so I was like, well, if, you know, maybe he had a hard experience. And then I, uh, another reason that made it a little bit difficult was that I heard that the students in the classroom at this school would just be challenging. And I observed in the back of the room, uh, this is going to be a challenging group. And then third, I asked a little bit about the community in this little small town in North Carolina. And at that time, Alice and I were engaged, not yet married. So I'd be living there by myself. She'd be living up in, in Pennsylvania. And so I'd be moving there by myself when I found out that this small town in North Carolina, it'd be very difficult to find community. So after a hard interview, I remember going out to the parking lot into my Ford Explorer and just really telling the Lord, a real struggle taking place in my heart, I don't want to come here. I know there's a need here, but send another Bible teacher here. Send, send someone else. And so I, I pulled a, a Moses where Moses is saying, send someone else. I don't know if you've ever have said that before, but when I read the words spoken here by Moses, send someone else, I, I wonder what struggle was taking place in his heart. I mean, what would lead him to say these words? What's the story behind him saying, send someone else? Again, this is not a familiar, but um, you know, it's a pretty familiar story to a lot of us in this room. So I, I just want to go back to the beginning of this conversation, this dialogue that takes place between him and God. I started at the end of the story, but let's go back to the beginning of the story in Exodus 3 verse 1, where we kind of see the beginning where, uh, where Moses says this right here. So Moses 
It's kind of how his, his life began. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here's Moses' life. It's pretty simple. We see here in verse one, he's just taking care of sheep, right? That's given us a bit of the context. Um, before I go to verse two, I think it's helpful to put Exodus three and four within the context of Exodus and really the whole story of the Bible and that God's made a promise that the Israelites, that they would be, that they would grow into a great people and that has happened but that those people would also be given um, a land. And yet that hasn't happened because as of right now in Exodus 3, the Israelites are in slavery, they're oppressed, and yet God is true to his word, God is faithful, God is gonna lead them out and give them, to a, give them a land. And while Moses is taking care of sheep, God has a word for Moses. And so here we see, verse two, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. And what happens over the next few verses that God basically begins to speak to Moses. And when he first calls out, like I think I underlined in my Bible, verse four, where it says God called to him. And so when God speaks to Moses, Moses, uh, it starts off really well. Do you know what words Moses says? When God first speaks to Moses, he says, here am I, which is a, that's great. That's a great way to respond. Here I am, God. But as God begins to speak to Moses and he tells Moses, hey, Moses, man, I know what's going on with the Israelites and I've come down to rescue them and I'm gonna bring them out. And I wonder when Moses hears that God's gonna rescue them, I, I wonder how excited he got, right? That a song burst out, that he sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. Did he sing a song about God's faithfulness? I mean, imagine Moses is hearing that God's gonna rescue the Israelites. He had to have been excited. And yet to his surprise, as, as God is saying, I'm gonna rescue them, probably to Moses' surprise, God says this to him in verse 10. Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So God says, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna lead them out, but I'm gonna do it through you, Moses. I am sending you. And before we go any further, I think it's good to just pause thus far in the story and to write this down. That we see here from Moses, God is calling Moses to a work. And God calls us to a work. I'll provide a few examples in just a second. But God calls us to his work. For Moses, the work was lead a people out of slavery and into freedom. That was the work that God was calling Moses to here. But obviously the work that God calls us to is different than the work that Moses called to. We're not Moses, we're living in a completely different time. And so when I'm trying to relate this to my own life, I'm asking uh, the question, what's the work that God's calling me to? What's the work that God is calling us to? Well, specifically in Nehemiah, the work he's calling us to is to restore the broken. That's, that's specific to Nehemiah. But outside of Nehemiah, what's the work that God is calling us to? In the same way that God speaks to Moses through a burning bush, God speaks to us through his word. And throughout the pages of scripture, God is calling us to, uh, to, to, to respond to him in different commands. I, I think of like Luke ten twenty seven. Here's a work that God's calling us to. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So that's a, that's a work that God's calling us to. How about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
So that's a a work that God's calling us to as, as believers. You can write this down, the Great Commission. As Jesus spoke to the disciples about going and making disciples. That's a work that he's called us to. I was encouraged just recently when I had lunch with someone who shared with me that the work that they believe God was calling them to is to take the gospel to those who have never heard it. That's a work that God is calling them to. And some of our high school and college students have said that. Man, I want to take the gospel to those who've never heard it. For others of us, it's uh, a work is, okay, maybe it's, I'm going to share the gospel with our neighbors or coworkers. That's a work that God is calling us to. Or for others, it's to our family. And as I've prepared this message and read Exodus 3 and 4, this is what I resonate with the most. When I, when you, if you were to ask me, what's the work God's calling you to, Jonathan? Uh, there's a few things that come to mind, but this is a big, big one for me. Another work would be serving. I think Doug made it clear from 1 Peter 4.10 that serving is a command, not a consideration. So this is the work that he's calling us to. Another person in our high school ministry said a work that God has called them to specifically is to encourage one another. And by the way, there's so many one another's in scripture that you could look at. But, and I know this is kind of a broad question. What's the work that God's calling me to? You could answer that in so many different ways. But I think it's good to maybe write down specifically as we move through the, this message and look at Moses and how he responds to God, what's the work that God's calling you to? Could you, there's something specific coming to mind. Maybe just write that down. Like I said, for, for me, it would be uh, Bible teaching to, to lead a ministry, to love students, to lead them to love Jesus, to equip adult volunteers. That's the work he's called me to. But I have to be careful that that's not the only work he's called me to. That outside of that, he's called me to the work to lead my family, love my wife, and point them to Jesus. That's the work that I think he's called me to. And sometimes the work that he's called us to can be hard, uncomfortable or inconvenient. But I have to recognize that I look at the pages of scripture, there's, there's no confusion. There's great clarity to the work that, he, um, that he's called me to, that he's called us to. And so if there's clarity to this is the work that God's called us to, then comes the question, what's my response gonna be? How, how do we respond to the work that he's calling us to as we see in scripture? Well, let's look at how Moses responds. So God says to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm, I'm gonna bring the people out of Israel, out of the, Egypt, the Israelites out of Egypt, and I'm sending you. Here's how he responds to verse 11. Look at our response. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the, the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And so Moses responds here with an excuse, not just one excuse, but a few excuses that we'll look at. Moses is simply going, who am I, man? I I can't do this. If you don't know anything about Moses or haven't read about him in a while, his resume is not really that impressive. (laughs) He he spends 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. So Moses, when he says, who am I? He is saying, I'm a nobody being asked to do something that requires a somebody. I'm a nobody. I, I can't do this. And in the same way that Moses has a who am I excuse to the work that God was calling him to, I think we have who am I excuses to the work that he is calling us to. So I'll go first, personally. When I lived in North Carolina, and this was right before Lydia, our oldest, was gonna be born, and just began to get real to me that I was about to be a dad. 
And it was a month or two before that, I just began to think, man, I'm, I'm not gonna be good enough. What, what if I'm not a good dad? Who am I? I don't know enough. I don't have what it takes to be a dad. That was my who am I. And maybe for you, 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 you think about the work that God's calling you to to share the gospel with a neighbor, but you go, who am I? I've shared the gospel before, but no one has come to Christ before for, from, from my gospel presentation. Or you're called to the work of hospitality, like with a neighbor, but you think, who am I to host? My house isn't big enough, or my house isn't nice enough. Or you're called to, to the work to mentor other ladies, but you say, who am I? Like, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I, I've never done that before. I don't, I don't know enough. Who am I? Maybe this would be helpful for you if, if there's something that the Lord is speaking to your heart about is, what's your who am I excuse? I think we all have them. I could give five or six more. But we, we, we have these, who am I? I just, I don't know if I can do this. And what I find to be encouraging, the more that I've read this passage personally, is that when Moses is making a who am I excuse, there's great encouragement as we look away from Moses and we look to God and see how God answers and how God responds to his excuse. Look at this, verse 12. So Moses says, who am I? And then we'll see how God answers that. In verse 12, and he said, this is God speaking, and he said, certainly I'll be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that is, that is I who have sent you, that when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So he's already promised them what the outcome will be. And he's saying, Moses, you're saying, who am I? And God's like, chill out, Moses, I got you. I will be with you. God is saying to Moses, Moses, I'm gonna be present with you, not absent from you. Or Psalm 46, Moses, I'm your very present help in time of trouble. Moses, I mean, I'm gonna be with you. This is the same promise that I think that Joseph needed to hear with all the dysfunction that went through his family. Joseph, the Lord is with you. And then after Moses, you look at Joshua and Joshua replaces Moses as the leader. The, the word of the Lord to Joshua is, I'm gonna be with you. And then when you look at Jesus and the great commission with the disciples, hey, he's speaking to the disciples about going and making disciples. And the word of the Lord to the disciples is, man, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you. And I think that's an encouragement for us this morning. As I make a who am I excuse to the work he's called me to, I need to be reminded that he is with me. And so that I'm not alone when I go share the gospel with somebody. I'm not alone when I reach out to a family member and, and trying to have a hard conversation. I know one guy told me that the work that God was calling him to was, he got specific, he said, man, I need to reach out to my sister today who's not a believer. And I need to work some things out with her in our relationship. That's the work that, he, that God is calling that guy to. But as he steps into that conversation, he's not alone, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with us. And yet when I, can, when I hear Moses hearing, okay, Moses, I'm with you. I can hear Moses going, but who are you? And that is, that's essentially what he says in verse 13. So God's answer here to Moses is, I am present. I am present. I'm with you. And Moses is probably like, but who are you? And we see that in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name, and what shall I say to them? And so Moses is like, okay, ooh, even if I go, and they may go, what's your name? What am I supposed to say? And then God says this in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I wonder what this was like for Moses. Moses is like, I am. Well, who, 
Who, who are you? And God's like, I am has sent me to you. What does this mean? When God says, I am, he's revealing his personal name to Moses. He's, he's revealing who he is, that he is the one, um, he's the only one, the eternal one, the self-existent one. He's the creator, he's the sustainer. Revelation 1.8, he's the alpha and the omega. God is saying to Moses, Moses, I'm the one who knows the beginning and the end. He says, I'm the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is huge for God to say to, to Moses. I'm the God of your, of your fathers, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, because when God brings those three guys' names up, those guys were failures, and yet it reveals how God has been faithful, that God's a promise maker, never breaker, that God is saying to Moses, I am, I'm the one who never changes. Hebrews 13, eight, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And those circumstances may change and family dynamics change. God is the one who remains the same. And God is revealing himself to Moses. I am who I am. And then he says in verse 15, God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God, here's their names, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. So God says to Moses, I am, this is who I am. Now in verses 16 to 22, he's gonna say, this is the word that I have for you, Moses. Before you go to Pharaoh, I want you to go to your own people. You gather the Israelites together and then I want you to gather the, the, the elders together and you're essentially gonna say to them three things. You're gonna say to them, the Lord has appeared to you, that the Lord knows what's going on and that the Lord is going to rescue you. That's what God says to Moses. And yet when Moses hears that, that he's gonna go and say, God has appeared to me, I'm here to rescue you. Moses responds with a second excuse in verse, uh, chapter four, verse one. He says this, then Moses said, what if? What if they won't believe or listen to me? To what I say, for they may say the Lord has not appeared to you. It's like, are you kidding me, Moses? God, God just revealed who, who, that he, who he was to you. God has shown, said to you that he's gonna be present with you. And yet Moses is like, well, what if they don't believe or listen to me? And Moses is probably thinking back to maybe 40 years prior when he, he tried to say something to the Israelites, but it, it didn't work. Or maybe he was reminded of his failure because 40 years earlier, Moses walks out and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he steps in. He basically uh, ends up killing an Egyptian. He commits murder. And then the next day he goes out and he sees, sees two of his own people fighting. And when they're fighting, Moses steps in to try to break up the fight. And then one of the Israelites says to him, hey, wh who made you judge and rule over us, Moses? What are you gonna do? You're gonna kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses knew that what he thought he did in secret, committing murder, was made known. And all the other Israelites knew about it. And really that was, that's what led Moses to flee from Pharaoh for 40 years. So fast forward the story. Moses is 80 years old. And God is saying to him, go, speak to them. And yet Moses is going, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't take me serious? What if I walk in there and I say, God has spoken to me, and then they go, Moses, who are you? Moses, you're a loser. Moses, you're stupid. What if they mock me? What if they, what if they don't take me serious? And Moses has all sorts of, of what ifs. What if this doesn't go well? What if this is hard? I think it's good to identify real quick that in the same way Moses has a what if excuse to the work that God's calling him to, I think we do as well. Obviously the work that Moses is called to is very, very different than the work that you and I have been called to. Um, the, 
the work that God's called me to. So one example here would be to, to teach, right? And part of teaching um, when Doug is out is I do, the, I do the Q&A. So when I finish teaching, I'm gonna go do the Q&A. And Tracy Johnson does a great job with the Q&A, but when I go to the Q&A, I feel so dumb sometimes. Because my, my what if is, what if I get asked a question I don't know the answer to? What if, right? And, and I'm like, man, I'm gonna be asked a question and people are gonna be like, he doesn't know the answer. And you're gonna be like, right, I don't know the answer. Like, I, I don't wanna look dumb. Or when, if on a retreat, a student asks me a question, I wanna know the answer. I wanna be able to answer the question right, you know? But, but what if I look dumb? And as I realized, by the way, I think it's pride that says I have to have the answer. You know, that's, that's, that's dumb. But I have, I have what ifs. And so as you think about the work that God is calling you to, what's your, what's your what if? So maybe here's a story that would, maybe some of you would resonate with that reveals another what if of mine. So just recently, Allison had made plans to go out with a few of her friends uh, on, a, on a Thursday night for a few hours. And I said, okay, sure, Allison, that's great. What time are you gonna go? And she says, we're gonna go from five to nine. I was like, five to nine? That's like when the kids need to be fed and they're going to bed. Can't you like go at like 9 p.m.? Like, my starting in bed? I was like, who plans a night like that? Like, come on. That is just, that's not going to work with my schedule. And I did not have a great attitude, but eventually I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this, right? And so uh, Allison says, all right, so I'm leaving. I think she needed to leave at five, so I need you home by five. And when I walk in the door, she's like, I got to go. So the transition was quick, and she's like, here's where the kids are. You know, here's, here's what you need to know. She I was like, I was a babysitter or something, but it was fun. And so I walk into the house, and in that moment, what's the work that God is calling me to? And the work that he's calling me to is not just to keep, yeah, to keep the kids alive, right? It's not just to keep them breathing. There's a specific work that God has called me to, right? And the work is to love my kids, to be a present father, not an absent father, not to be zoning out, sermon prepping in my head, but to be fully engaged with them, right? To ask them questions. And, and when I step into those moments, I go, yeah, but what if this is hard? Like, I've been at the beach for five hours with students all day today. I'm tired. Like, I, I need to just sit in the quiet and read a book. Like, I, I need some me time. What if, what if uh, one of them starts screaming, right? What if I want to sing a song about Jesus, but Lydia wants to sing, I don't want to talk about Bruno. And they're like, or, or what if Astor's like, puppies, puppies, and he wants to watch some video about puppies 10 times. And so what if they don't want to go to bed? What if I try to put Astor's pajamas on, he does a backflip and flips out of it and just drives me crazy. There's all sorts of what ifs that I have. And really, as I, my, here's what I think. My what ifs reveal that I'm more concerned about how other, how other people are gonna respond to me than my own personal response to what the, the, the very work that God's calling me to. Does that make sense? And I think with Moses' what if, Moses' what if reveals that he's so concerned about how people are gonna respond to him. And I think often for us, it's like, what if I obey but people respond negatively? And by the way, to go back to that story, yeah, I didn't have a great attitude about Allison going out at first, but it was a joy for her to come back in that night with a big smile on her face. It was a blessing to her. It was a blessing. And I was like, man, I'll, I'll be inconvenient again for four hours so that I might bless my wife. It was a blessing. And so we all have what ifs. What if I show, what if you may go like, what if I show hospitality, but it gets uncomfortable? What if I share the gospel, but the person gets offended or they cut me off? What if as a grandparent, you wanna speak in the life of your kid, but they don't wanna hear it? What if as a college student, you need to have a hard conversation with a parent and you're not quite sure how that might go? Look, we all have what ifs, but I think that it's super 
significant to see that as Moses has a what if, that God draws Moses' attention away from himself to something in his hand. And here's, uh, so God's answer, I skipped ahead real quick, but I'll get back to verse two. So God is saying to him, oh, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. So God's uh, focusing Moses' attention on something in his hand, a staff. And so he threw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent and Moses fled from it. It's like, obviously, right? Anybody would run from a snake. Verse four, but the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. So so pause real quick. So Moses says, a what if, and God is going to show Moses some signs. And I'm, and I'm reading these, uh, like nine verses here. I'm going, what is God trying to show Moses? So have that question in your head. What is God like, what is, what is God doing here showing him these signs? Keep reading. Verse five, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Verse six, the Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom, inside your shirt. So he put his hand inside to his shirt, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. That's the second sign. Then he said, put your hand into your, your shirt again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So it's like, what? A staff into a snake, and then he restores his hand? And then verse eight, if they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, then they may believe the witness of the last sign. Verse nine, but if they will not believe you even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water with which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So three signs, I know this was a lot of scripture, but God is basically saying, look, Moses, I, when you're making a what if excuse, let me reveal to you and let, you, let me show you my power that I am powerful. What's it take to take a, turn a staff into a snake to make your hand leprosy and then heal it? I am powerful. Let me show you my power. And I think as we are making what if excuses, we need to be reminded of God's power. And as New Testament believers, where do we see God's power? A resurrection. God's power on display. Jesus buried resurrected on the third day, victory over sin and death. And as we have what ifs, no matter what they are, big or small, we need to be reminded that our greatest problem is solved in the gospel. Romans 8, 11 is true. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in me. Romans eight thirty two, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, Romans 8.32, simply saying this, that if God did the big thing, if God purchased my salvation, he can grow me up in my struggle with self-doubt, that he can mature me, that he can strengthen me. I think that's a great promise to come back to is to his power. And when Moses hears God saying and speaking to him about his power, Moses still has another excuse and his third excuse is this. Then the Lord said to, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and of tongue. So Moses is like, I, I can't speak. I've never been a good speaker. And Moses is like, what if I stand before Pharaoh and I say, let my, and I, I just can't get to the words, let my people go. I, I'm just not a good speaker. And here's, here's God's answer. So when he says, I can't speak, this is what God says, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, 
Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, now then go and I, even I will be with your mouth and I'm gonna teach you what to say. So Moses is like, I can't speak. God's answer is, I got that. I made your mouth. And if I made your mouth, I'll give you the words to speak. God is making a promise here to provide words to speak. Where you think you have no words, I can give you words to speak. And yet we see that even with God's promise here, we were back to where we started in Exodus 4, verse 13, where Moses says, send someone else. Send someone else. Even though God is revealing himself to Moses, we then see in verse 14, which is a pretty serious verse, by the way. It's not on the screen, but do you see verse 14 in your Bible? It says the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. That's pretty serious. That a man who is fixing his eyes elsewhere than on the character of God, God is, God is serious here with Moses. And I don't, know that, I don't think he's gonna destroy Moses, but God is serious. Moses, you're not listening to me. Moses, you're not responsive to me. And yet, in the same way that God is serious with Moses, and he is gonna get his attention, and he is gonna go, I think God is also compassionate with Moses. Because we know in the later in the story, he sends Aaron. And eventually Moses does go to Egypt. But the point that I wanna draw our attention to is there's something that is revealed in Moses' excuses. When you look at Moses' three excuses, who am I? What if they don't listen to me? I can't speak. Who are those excuses about? I mean, who, who is he thinking about? Moses is all into himself, and Moses' excuses reveal that he's stuck on his inability so much so that he can't hear God saying, I can make you able. I can give you the ability. His, his, Moses' self-focus gets him so sidetracked. And yet it's easy for me to pick on Moses. I can see myself all over this passage. And Moses, like myself, can be so preoccupied with myself that you can't be concerned about what's going on with other people. And God is saying, I'm going to rescue a people. And Moses' focus is here. And yet in God's answers, God is saying, Moses, look here. Moses, look here. Look to who I am. Look to my presence. Look to my power. Right? Look to the fact that I can give you the words to speak. And God is saying to Moses, Moses, I'm not calling you to this work based on how you feel or how you think about yourself. And I think there's a great truth here. And it's this, that God calls us to his work not based on how we think about ourselves, but it's according to who he is. And I think throughout the dialogue in Exodus 3 and 4, as Moses is struggling with self-doubt, God is personally encouraging Moses so that eventually he can go and then speak before, speak to the people. This is what he calls us to, not based on what we think about ourselves, but according to who he is. I think we learn from Moses that we need to stop making excuses and start trusting his promises. Stop making excuses. This is what I need to say to myself as I go into this afternoon, as I go into the rest of this week. Stop making excuses. Start trusting his promises. Jonathan, look away from yourself and look to him. To him who promises this verse. In 2 Peter, that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I have all that I need. All that I need, yes. 
Yes, I want to come under this scripture and believe I have all that I need. Now, as I, as I finish up here, I want to try to take that principle. God calls us to his work, not based on what we think about ourselves, but according to who he is, and see how that's seen in the New Testament with Paul. So Paul, who in second, or 1 Corinthians, Paul was not impressive at all. And Paul was said of him that he wasn't a very good speaker, but yet, look at this. And Paul, he says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul, he's not looking to himself, but he wants to look to the one whom he has come to love, right? Think about him, I'm not gonna boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I'm gonna boast here. That's what Paul's saying. Verse three, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why, Paul? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Do you see that? Uh, Paul could have thought, well, who am I? I can't do this. And he also could have thought highly of himself. But, he, but either way, Paul wants to focus attention on the one who promises that his power is made perfect in weakness. And that's, uh, God calls us to his work, not based on what we think about ourselves, but according to who he is. I think another great illustration of this very truth that we see in in this passage, um, my, my dad, who went to the Bible college where a lot of us went on staff, CIU, um, one day when my dad was there, um, my dad went to chapel. My dad was having just a really um, hard season. I, he actually told me the story on Friday, uh, and it's a story he's told me often, but my dad was basically at a point where he wanted to, uh, to leave CIU. He was very disheartened. One day he walks into chapel, he goes up in the balcony, and uh, Robertson McQuilkin stands up to introduce the guest speaker for that day. And when the man walks out on the stage, it was a man in a wheelchair. And my dad's like, oh man, this isn't gonna be that good of a message. And my dad just does not have a great attitude. And yet my dad says that when this man began to speak, it was like the wind blew in that place. It was one of the most powerful moments where my, my dad witnessed a guy speak with such power. And a man in a wheelchair, a man by the name of Dick Woodward, simply had a very brief message, and he said, I can't, but he can, and I am in him, and he is in me. I'm not, but he is, and I am in him, and he is in me. I don't want to, but he wants to, and I am in him, and he is in me. I didn't, but he did, because I am in him, and he is in me. Man, God calls us to his work, not based on what we think about ourselves, but it's according to who he is. That's a, that's a massive encouragement this morning. That we have all that we need. I'm not, but he is. I can't, but he can. And, and as I preach those truths to myself, man, that's such a, such a big encouragement. But here's the thing that I know, though. That though I have all that I need, I'm not promised uh, that, that every day is going to be great. I'm not promised that there won't, there won't be a hard day. There will be hard days in spite of these truths. And as I embrace these truths, there's going to be difficulty because there is difficulty for Moses. Moses steps into the work that God is calling him to. And I know that it, in Exodus 5, uh, Pharaoh doesn't listen to him. And things actually get worse, not better. And Moses gets so discouraged. Look at this. He gets so discouraged. This is what Moses says to the Lord. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? And why did you ever send me here? The man who said, send someone else, and then eventually he reluctantly goes, gets so discouraged, so discouraged that he says, man, why did you ever send me here? Man, have you ever felt like that before? 
I know that I have. And to take you back to where I started in this message with that interview in Eden, North Carolina, eventually I went there. And I thought, I'll be here for a year. But I was, I was there for, for five years. And I remember my first year there, it seemed like nobody cared about the Bible. I was lonely, no community, no friends. And when I would teach the scriptures, it was just like, what am I doing here? Lord, why did you ever send me here? And I remember driving out one day, just punching my steering wheel, like, I don't want to be here. And yet, as I was there, the longer I was there, man, there was fruit. And I left there in 2018 to come here. And in 2021, I just received an email from a student who's now at NC State in Raleigh. And she said to me, super encouraging, she said, the Lord spoke to me, um, spoke to me in his word in your class. He met me where I was in my disbelief, in my brokenness, and in my hopeless pit. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. She, she quotes Psalm 18, 19 there. And it's so encouraging to see that. There was fruit. Right? Why, why did God send me to North Carolina? So that I would teach students the Bible. And as the, as the Bible is taught, lives would be changed. And as lives are changed, he receives glory. That's, that's why he sent me there. And so Moses is like, why did you ever send me here? Well, what was his work? God called him to a work. Take my people out of slavery into the promised land. And eventually it wouldn't be Moses, but God through Moses, the one who strengthens Moses, God would lead them out. And as they're led out of slavery, God puts a song in Moses' heart. And Moses says this. This is kind of the other side of the story. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. I wonder how loud he sang here. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. So a man who, who am I? What if they don't listen to me? I can't speak. A man who was so preoccupied with self. Where, look, do you see where his focus is now? This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will extol him. Hey, I'm encouraged this morning as I look at this, the, the story of Moses, right? A, mo, a man who was so focused, focused on himself begins to focus on the one who strengthens him. And I want us to do that as we finish this morning by singing this song um, that is a song of Moses and reminding us of who God is. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord, our mighty warrior. Praise the Lord, the glorious one. By his hand.
on our behalf that will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. If he's going to do that through us, then that's, that's our privilege. And it's our privilege to say, Lord, no matter what, I trust in your presence and your power and that you'll provide everything I need. So I think we'll have moments like that in the next coming days with people that we may not normally be with. Hey, let's step into it. Let's trust that he's going to work through us. And I hope you have a great time um, this weekend celebrating the freedoms that we have in this country. And we'll see you next time. God bless.